Part One, Chapter Thirty of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. Weary soul and burden sore, laboring with thy secret load. Fear not all thy griefs to pour in this heart, love's true abode. Lyra Innocentium G had just been brought in on the eighth evening from Norman's departure when there was a ring at the bell. There was a start and look of expectation. Only a patient, said the doctor, but it surely was not for that reason that he rose with so much alacrity and opened the door, nor was, well, old fellow, the greeting for his patience. So everybody sprang after him and beheld something tall taking off a coat, while a voice said, I have got it. The mass of children rushed back to Margaret, screaming, He has got it! And then Aubrey trotted out into the hall again to see what Norman had got. A happy face, at least, said Margaret, as he came to her, and that was not peculiar to Norman. The radiance had shone out upon everyone in that moment, and it was one buzz of happy exclamation, query and answer the only tone of regret when mary spoke of harry and all at once took up the strain how glad poor harry would be as to the examination that had been much less difficult than norman had expected in fact he said it was lucky for him that the very subjects had been chosen in which he was most up luck which as the doctor could not help observing generally did attend norman and Norman had been so happy with Richard, the kind, wise elder brother had done exactly what was best for him in soothing his anxiety, and had fully shared his feelings, and exulted in his success. Margaret had a most triumphant letter, dwelling on the abilities of the candidates whom Norman had outstripped, and the idea that everyone had conceived of his talent. Indeed, wrote Richard, I fancy the men had never believed that I could have a clever brother, I am glad they have seen what Norman can do. Margaret could not help reading this aloud, and it made Norman blush with the compunction that Richard's unselfish pride in him always excited. He had much to tell of his ecstasy with Oxford. Stoneborough Minster had been a training in appreciation of his hoary beauty, but the essentially prosaic Richard had never prepared him for the impression that the reverend old university made on him, and he was already, heart and soul, one of her most loyal and loving sons, speaking of his college and of the whole university as one who had a right of property in them, and looking, all the time, not elated, but contented, as if he had found his sphere and was satisfied. He had seen Chevio, too, and had been very happy in the renewed friendship, and had been claimed as a cousin by a bally old man, a certain Norman Ogilvy, a name well known among the maze. And how has Tom been getting on? he asked, when he returned to home affairs. "'Oh, I don't know,' said Ethel. "'He will not have my help.' "'Not let you help him?' exclaimed Norman. "'No, he says he wants no girls,' said Ethel, laughing. "'Foolish fellow,' said Norman. "'I wonder what sort of work he has made.' "'Very funny, I should think,' said Ethel, "'judging by the verses I could see.' The little, pale, rough-haired Tom, in his perpetual coating of dust, softly crept into the room as if he only wanted to elude observation but mary and blanche were at once vociferating their news in his ears though with little encouragement 
he only shook them off abruptly and would not answer when they required him to be glad norman stretched out his arm intercepting him as he was making for his hiding-place behind dr may's armchair come august how have things gone on oh i don't know what's your place thirteenth muttered tom in his throat and well he might for two or three voices cried out that was too bad and that it was all his own fault for not accepting ethel's help he took little heed but crept to his corner without another word and mary knew she should be thumped if she should torment him there norman left him alone but the coldness of the little brother for whom he had worked gave a greater chill to his pleasure than he could have supposed possible he would rather have had some cordiality on tom's part than all the congratulations that met him the next day he could not rest contented while tom continued to shrink from him and he was more uneasy when on saturday morning no calls for mary availed to find the little boy and bring him to the usual reading and catechism margaret decided that they must begin without him and poor mary's verse was read in consequence with a most dolorous tone as soon as the books were shut she ran off and a few words passed among the elder ones about the truant flora opining that the andersons had led him away ethel suggesting that his gloom must arise from his not being well and margaret looking wistfully at norman and saying she feared they had judged much amiss last spring norman heard in silence and walked thoughtfully into the garden presently he caught mary's voice in expostulation how could you not come to read girls work growled another voice out of sight but norman and richard and harry always come to the reading everybody ought norman who was going round the shrubs that concealed the speakers from him here lost their voices but as he emerged in front of the old tool-house he heard a little scream from mary and at the same moment she darted back and fell over a heap of cabbage stumps in front of the old tool-house it was no small surprise to her to be raised by him and tenderly asked whether she was hurt she was not hurt but she could not speak without crying and when norman begged to hear what was the matter and where tom was she would only plead for him that he did not intend to hurt her and that she had been teasing him what had he done to frighten her oh he had only run at her with a hoe because she was troublesome she did not mind it and norman must not and she clung to him as if to keep him back while he pursued his researches in the tool-house where nearly concealed by a great bushel basket lurked master thomas crouching down with a volume of gil blass in his hand you here tom what have you hidden yourself here for what can make you so savage to mary she should not bother me said tom sulkily norman sent mary away pacifying her by promises that he would not revenge her quarrel upon tom and then turning the basket upside down and perching himself astride on it he began that is the kindest most forgiving old sister i ever did see what possesses you to treat her so ill i wasn't going to hurt her but why drive her away why don't you come to read no answer and norman for a moment felt as if tom were really hopelessly ill-conditioned and sullen but he persevered in restraining his desire to cuff the ill-humor out of him and continued come there's something wrong and you will never be better till it is out tell me don't be afraid those fellows have been at you again he took tom by the arm to draw him nearer but a cry and start of pain were the result so they have licked you eh what have you been doing 
They said they would splificate me if I told, sighed Tom. They shall never do anything to you. And, by and by, a sobbing confession was drawn forth, muttered at intervals, as low as if Tom expected the strings of onions to hear and betray him to his foes. Looking on him as a deserter, these town boys had taken advantage of his brother's absence to heap on him every misery they could inflict. There had been a wager between Edward Anderson and Sam Exworthy as to what Tom could be made to do, and his personal timidity made him a miserable victim, not merely beaten and bruised, but forced to transgress every rule of right and wrong that had been enforced on his conscience. On Sunday, they had profited by the absence of their ducks to have a jollification at a little public house, not far from the playing fields, and here had Tom been dragged in, forced to partake with them, and frightened with their threats that he had treated them all, and was liable to pay the whole bill, which, of course, he firmly believed, as well as that he should be at least half murdered if he gave his father any suspicion that the whole had not been consumed by himself. Now, though poor Tom's conscience had lost many scruples during the last spring, the offense, into which he had been forced, was too heinous to a child brought up as he had been, to be palliated even in his own eyes. The profanation of Sunday, and the carousal in a public house, had combined to fill him with a sense of shame and degradation, which was the real cause that he felt himself unworthy to come and read with his sisters. His grief and misery were extreme, and Norman's indignation was such as could find no utterance. He sat silent, quivering with anger, and clenching his fingers over the handle of the hoe. "'I knew it,' sighed Tom. "'None of you will ever speak to me again.' "'You?' "'Why, August man, I have better hopes of you than ever. "'You are more really sorry now than ever you were before.' "'I had never been at the Green Man before,' said poor Tom, "'feeling his future life stain. "'You never will again. "'When you are gone,' and the poor victim's voice died away. "'Tom, you will not stay after me. "'It is settled that when I go to Balliol you will leave Stoneborough "'and go to Mr. Wilmot as pupil. "'Those scamps shall never have you in their clutches again.' It did not produce the ecstasy Norman had expected. The boy still sat on the ground, staring at his brother, as if the good news hardly penetrated the gloom, and, after disappointing silence, recurred to the immediate cause of distress. Eight shillings and tenpence halfpenny. Norman, if you would only lend it to me, you shall have all my ten till I have made it up. Sixpence a week, and half a crown on New Year's Day. "'I am not going to pay Mr. Axworthy's reckoning,' said Norman, rather angrily. "'You will never be better till you have told my father the whole.' "'Do you think they will send in the bill to my father?' asked Tom, in alarm. "'No, indeed. That is the last thing they will do,' said Norman. "'But I would not have you come to him only for such a sneaking reason.' "'But the girls would hear it. "'Oh, if I thought Mary and Margaret would ever hear it. "'Norman, I can't.' Norman assured him that there was not the slightest reason that these passages should ever come to the knowledge of his sisters. Tom was excessively afraid of his father, but he could not well be more wretched than he was already, and he was brought to assent when Norman showed him that he had never been happy since the affair of the blotting paper, when his father's looks and tones had been objects of dread to his guilty conscience. Was not the only means of recovering a place in Papa's esteem to treat him with confidence? Tom answered not, and would only shudder when his brother took upon him to declare 
that free confession would gain pardon even for the doings of the green man. Tom had grown stupefied and passive, and his sole dependence was on Norman, so, at last, he made no opposition when his brother offered to conduct him to his father and speak for him. The danger now was that Dr. May should not be forthcoming, and the elder brother was as much relieved as the younger was dismayed to see, through the drawing-room window, that he was standing beside Margaret. "'Papa, can you come and speak to me?' said Norman, at the door. "'Coming. What now?' said the doctor, entering the hall. "'What, Tom, my boy, what is it?' As he saw the poor child, white, cold, almost sick with apprehension, with every pulse throbbing, and looking positively ill, he took the chilly, damp hand, which shook nervously, and would fain have withdrawn itself. "'Come, my dear, let us see what is amiss.' and before Tom knew what he was doing, he had seated him on his knee, in the armchair in the study, and was feeling his pulse. There, rest your head. Has it not been aching all day? I do not think he is ill, said Norman, but there is something he thinks I had better tell you. Tom would fain have been on his feet, yet the support of that shoulder was inexpressibly comfortable to his aching temples, and he could not but wait for the shock of being roughly shaken and put down. So, as his brother related what had occurred, he crouched and trembled more and more on his father's breast, till, to his surprise, he found the other arm passed round him in support, drawing him more tenderly close. "'My poor little fellow,' said Dr. May, trying to look into the drooping face, "'I grieve to expose you to such usage as this. I little thought it of Stoneborough Fellows.' "'He is very sorry,' said Norman, much distressed by the condition of the culprit. "'I see it. I see it plainly,' said Dr. May. "'Tommy, my boy, why should you tremble when you are with me? "'He has been in great dread of your being displeased.' "'My boy, do you not know how I forgive you?' "'Tom clung round his neck, as if to steady himself. "'Oh, Papa, I thought you would never—' "'Nay, you need never have thought so, my boy. "'What have I done that you should fear me?' "'Tom did not speak, but nestled up to him with more confidence.' There, that's better. Poor child, what he must have suffered. He was not fit for the place. I had thought him looking ill. Little did I guess the cause. He says his head has ached ever since Sunday, said Norman, and I believe he has hardly eaten or slept properly since. He shall never be under their power again, thanks to you, Norman. Do you hear that, Tommy? The answer was hardly audible. The little boy was already almost asleep, worn out with all he had undergone. Norman began to clear the sofa, that they might lay him down, but his father would not hear of disturbing him, and, sending Norman away, sat still for more than an hour, until the child slowly awoke, and scarcely recalling what had happened, stood up between his father's knees, rubbing his eyes, and looking bewildered. "'You are better now, my boy?' "'I thought you would be very angry,' slowly murmured Tom, as the past returned on him. Never, while you are sorry for your faults, and own them freely. I'm glad I did, said the boy, still half asleep. I did not know you would be so kind. Ah, Tom, I fear it was as much my fault as yours that you did not know it. But, my dear, there is a pardon that can give you better peace than mine. I think, muttered Tom, looking down, I think I could say my prayers again now, if... If what, my dear? If you would help me, as Mamma used, there could be but one response to this speech. Tom was still giddy and unwell, 
his whole frame affected by the troubles of the last week, and Dr. May arranged him on the sofa and desired him to be quiet, offering to send Mary to be his companion. Tom was languidly pleased, but renewed his entreaty that his confession might be a secret from his sisters. Dr. May promised, and Mary, quite satisfied at being taken into favor, asked no questions, but spent the rest of the morning in playing at drafts with him, and in having inflicted on her the history of the bloody fire king's ghost, a work of Tom's imagination, which he was wont to extemporize to the extreme terror of much enduring Mary. When Dr. May had called Mary, he next summoned Norman, who found him in the hall, putting on his hat, and looking very stern and determined. "'Norman,' said he hastily, "'don't say a word. It must be done. Hoxton must hear of this.' Norman's face expressed utter consternation. "'It is not your doing. It is no concern of yours,' said Dr. May, walking impetuously into the garden. "'I find my boy ill, broken down, shattered. It is the usage of this crew of fellows. What right have I to conceal it? Leave other people's sons to be so served?' "'I believe they did so to Tom out of ill-will to me,' said Norman, "'and because they thought he had ratted.' "'Hush! Don't argue against it,' said Dr. May, almost petulantly. "'I have stood a great deal to oblige you, but I cannot stand this. "'When it is a matter of corruption, base cruelty. "'No, Norman, it is not right. Not another word.' "'Norman's words had not been many, but he felt a conviction that, "'in spite of the dismay and pain to himself, "'Dr. May ought to meet with submission to his judgment, "'and he acquiesced by silence.' "'Don't you see?' continued the doctor. "'If they act thus, when your back is turned, "'what is to happen next half? "'Tis not for Tom's sake, "'but how could we justify it to ourselves "'to expose other boys to this usage?' "'Yes,' said Norman, not without a sigh. "'I suppose it must be.' "'That is right,' said Dr. May, as if much relieved. "'I knew you must see it in that light. "'I do not mean to abuse your confidence.' "'No, indeed,' answered Norman warmly. "'But you see yourself that where the welfare of so many is at stake, "'it would be wickedness, yes, wickedness, to be silent. "'Could I see that little fellow prostrated, trembling in my arms, "'and think of those scamps inflicting the same on other helpless children, "'away from their homes?' "'I see, I see,' said Norman, carried along by the indignation and tenderness "'that agitated his father's voice and his vehemence. "'It is the only thing to be done.' "'It would be sharing the guilt to hide it,' said Dr. May. "'Very well,' said Norman, still reluctantly. "'What do you wish me to do? "'You see, as ducks, I know nothing about it. "'It happened while I was away.' "'True, true,' said his father. "'You have learned it as a brother, not as senior boy. "'Yes, we had better have you out of the matter. "'It is I who complain of their usage of my son.' "'Thank you,' said Norman, with gratitude. "'You have not told me the names of these fellows.' "'No, I had best not know them.' "'I think it might make a difference,' hesitated Norman. "'No, no, I will not hear them. It ought to make none. The fact is the same, be they who they may.' The doctor let himself out at the garden gate, and strode off at a rapid pace, conscious, perhaps, in secret, that if he did not at once yield to the impulse of resentment, good nature would overpower the sense of justice. His son returned to the house with a heavy sigh, yet honoring the generosity that had respected his scruples when merely his own worldly loss was involved, but set them aside when the good of others was concerned. By and by, Dr. May reappeared. 
the headmaster had been thoroughly roused to anger and had begged at once to examine may jr for whom his father was now come tom was quite unprepared for such formidable consequences of his confession and began by piteous tears and sobs and when these had with some difficulty been pacified he proved to be really so unwell and exhausted that his father could not take him to minster street and was obliged to leave him to his brother's keeping while he returned to the school upon this dr hoxton came himself and the sisters were extremely excited and alarmed by the intelligence that he was in the study with papa and tom then away went the gentleman and mary was again called to comfort tom who broken down into the mere longing for sympathy sobbed out all his troubles to her while her eyes expanded more and more in horror and her soft heart giving way she cried quite as pitifully and a great deal more loudly and so the other sisters learned the whole and margaret was ready for her father when he came in in the evening harassed and sorrowful his anger was all gone now and he was excessively grieved at finding that the ringleaders samuel axworthy and edward anderson could in dr hoxton's opinion receive no sentence but expulsion which was to be pronounced on them on monday sam axworthy was the son of a low uneducated man and his best chance had been the going to the school but he was of a surly obstinate temper and showed so little compunction that even such superabundant kindness as dr mays could not find compassion for him especially since it had appeared that tom had been by no means the only victim and that he had often been the promoter of the like malpractices which many boys were relieved to be forced to expose for edward anderson however or rather for his mother dr may was very sorry and had even interceded for his pardon but dr hoxton though slow to be roused was far less placable than the other doctor and would not hear of anything but the most rigorous justice poor mrs anderson with her pride in her children flora spoke it with a shade of contemptuous pity but it made her father groan i shall never be able to look her in the face again i shall never see that boy without feeling that i have ruined him he needed nobody to do that for him said flora with every disadvantage continued dr may unable even to remember his father why could i not be more patient and forbearing oh papa was a gentle cry norman's voice giving decision to the sister's exclamation perhaps said margaret the shock may be the best thing for him right margaret said her father sometimes such a thing is the first that shows what a course of evil really is they are an affectionate family too said margaret and his mother's grief may have an effect on him if she does not treat him as an injured hero said flora besides i see no reason for regret these are but two and the school is not to be sacrificed to them yes said norman i believe that ash will be able to keep much better order without axworthy it is much better as it is but harry will be very sorry to hear it and i wish this half was over poor mrs anderson her shower of notes rent the heart of the one doctor but were tossed carelessly aside by the other on that sunday norman held various conversations with his probable successor ash a gentle well-disposed boy hitherto in much dread of the post of authority but owning that in axworthy's absence the task would be comparatively easy and that anderson would probably originate far less mischief edward anderson himself fell in norman's way in the street and was shrinking aside 
when a word of not unfriendly greeting caused him to quicken his steps and say hesitatingly i say how is august better thank you he will be all right in a day or two i say we would not have bullied him so if he had not been in such a fright at nothing i dare say not i did not mean at all but that sort of thing makes a fellow go on continued edward hanging down his head very sorrowful and downcast if it had only been a fair bullying but to take him to that place to teach him falsehood said norman edward's eyes were full of tears he almost owned the whole he had not thought of such things and then axworthy it was more evident from manner than words that the boy did repent and was greatly overcome both by his own disgrace and his mother's distress wishing earnestly to redeem his character and declaring from the bottom of his heart that he would avoid his former offences he was emboldened at last to say with hesitation could not you speak to dr hoxton for me my father has said all he could in your behalf edward's eye glanced towards norman in wonder as he recollected that the maze must know that a word from him would have saved norman from unjust punishment and the loss of the scholarship and he said good-night and turned aside to his own home with a heavy sigh norman took another turn looked up at the sky twisted his hands together in perplexity mumbled something about hating to do a thing when it was all for no use and then marched off toward minster street with a pace like his father's the day before when he came forth again from dr hoxton's study he did not believe that his intersection had produced the least effect and there was a sense of vexation of the position which he had assumed he went home and said nothing on the subject but when on monday the school was assembled and the judgment announced it was axworthy alone whose friends had been advised to remove him anderson received a severe punishment as did all those who had shared in the revel at the green man even tom and another little boy who had been likewise drawn in were obliged to stay within narrow bounds and to learn heavy impositions and a stern reprimand and exhortation were given to the school collectively anderson who had seen from the window that turned towards minster street drew his own conclusions and was not insensible to the generosity that had surpassed his hopes though to his faltering attempt at thanks norman replied that he did not believe it was owing to him and never exposed himself to flora's wonder by declaring at home what he had done so the last weeks of the half-year passed away with the boys in a subdued but a hopeful manner and the reformation under norman's auspices progressed so well that ash might fairly expect to reap the benefit of the discipline established at so much cost mr wilmot had looked on and given his help but he was preparing to leave stoneborough and there was great concern at the parting with such a friend ethel especially mourned the loss to cocksmoor and for though hers had been the executive part his had been the head and he was almost equally grieved to go from the newly begun work margaret lamented the loss of her kind counsellor and the ready hearer of her anxieties for the children writing could ill supply the place of their conversations and she feared likewise that her father would feel the want of his companionship the promise of visits and the intercourse kept up by tom's passing to and fro was the best consolation poor margaret had begun to flag both in strength and spirits as winter approached 
but there came a revival in the shape of ship's letters alan wrote cheerfully and graphically with excellent accounts of harry who on his side sent very joyous and characteristic despatches only wishing that he could present mary with all the monkeys and parrots he had seen at rio as well as the little ruby-crested hummingbirds that always reminded him of miss rivers with the christmas holidays hector Ernstcliff came from eton asked to a home and was received by margaret as a sort of a special charge it was pretty to see how he turned her as something peculiarly his own and would sit on a footstool by her letting himself be drawn into confidence and dwelling on his brother's past doings and on future schemes for maplewood for the rest he restored to the house the atmosphere of boy which had somewhat departed with harry mary who had begun to be tamed down ran more wild than ever to the utter despair of miss winter and tom now that his connection with the witchcote foundation was over and he was no more cowed by the sight of his tyrants came out in a new light he put on his boy nature rioted like the rest acquired color in his cheeks divested his jacket of perpetual dust had his hair cut brushed up a crest on his head and ran about no longer a little abject but a merry lad ethel said it was a change from horrid locks to harfager margaret said little but like her father she blessed norman in her heart for having given back the boy to his father's confidence and saved him so far from the terrible course of deceit and corruption she could not much take to heart the mad exploits of the so-called boys even though she spent three hours in heart-beatings on christmas eve when hector mary tom blanche and the dog toby were lost the whole day however they did come back at six o'clock having been deluded by an old myth of george larkin's into starting for a common three miles beyond cocksmoor in search of mistletoe with scarlet berries and yellow holly with leaves like a porcupine failing these wonders they had been contenting themselves with scarlet holly in the drydale plantations when a rough voice exclaimed who gave you leave to take that whereupon tom had plunged into a thicket and nearly scratched out both his eyes but hector boldly standing his ground with blanche in his hand the woodman discovered that here was the miss mary of whom his little girls talked so much thereupon cut down the choicest bows and promised to leave a full supply at dr may's margaret could have been angry at the taking the young ladies on so mad a scheme but then mary was so happy and as to hector how scold him when he had lifted blanche over every ditch and had carried her home one mile on his back and another queen's cushion fashion between him and mary flora meanwhile went her own way the desire of compensating for what had passed with norman led to great civilities from dr and mrs hoxton which nobody was at liberty to receive except flora pretty graceful and pleasing she was a valuable companion to a gentle little inane lady with more time and money than she knew what to do with and mrs hoxton who was of a superior grade to the stoneborough ladies in general was such a chaperone as flora was glad to secure dr may's old loyal feelings could not help regarding her notice of his daughter as a favor and kindness and margaret could find no tangible objections nor any precedent from her mother's conduct even had any one had the power to interfere with one so quiet reasonable and determined as flora so the intimacy became closer and closer and as the winter passed on 
flora gradually became established as the dear friend and assistant without whom mrs hoxton could give no party further flora took the grand step of setting up a copper plate and cards of miss flora may went out frequently on morning calls with mrs hoxton and her bay horses and when dr may refused his share of invitations to dinner with the neighbors in the county flora generally found that she could go under the hoxton's guardianship end of part one chapter thirty recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona